Bran thought about it. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave, his father told him. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuddin, and the quote that you heard is from George R.R. R. Martin, of course, a qualified author to be writing a quote as interesting and as significant as this one. Uh, from the Game of Thrones, or a Game of Thrones, but from the series, we we're talking about the reality of fear how consuming it can be, how it can make you respond, react in such, well, such hard ways, you know, how difficult it can be. I think that this is an interesting conversation. You know, whether you're uh, curious about it or not, or cognizant of it, we're talking gender and age stage of life, status, whether it be social or financial, the passion, the insecurities, whatever combination of all the above brings you to consider fear, it's kind of something that can be there without any recollection of it at all or any reflection of it at all. Now, why I bring this up? Because it's October. And so we're a lot of the times for fun talking about fear, horror movies, haunted houses, Halloween, all the above. But um, then when we think about the psychology of fear, there's also a lot to take in. Now, I visited a haunted house sort of recently uh, during this summer at Niagara Falls. And this particular haunted house had a lot of psychological fear going on. I mean, they had the chicken list right at the front where you could see on paper the number of people written by name uh, who couldn't make it through. And then we enter the haunted house because I obviously did because I'm not going to let the chicken list stop me. I go in and there's just so much happening that play to your fear, your biases, your experiences, your traumas. And uh, it can be anything from rainstorms to claustrophobia to car crashes to scary noise and sound and uh, darkness, just absolutely everything. But I thought it was very well done. So if you visit a haunted house and you run out screaming because you couldn't make it, you end up on the chicken list, first of all. But second of all, you know, what is it about that place that you couldn't make it through? You know, what worked and what didn't uh, is an, is kind of an analysis of fear, but it's a hopefully a safer way to do it when you're talking about haunted houses than if you're talking about some very legitimate reason why you're fearful of something. Hmm? Just a, a kind of different takes on fear leading up to Halloween. Now let's pause completely on that and move over to the Center for Equitable Library Access and check out the featured titles. Ashfall Prophecy is the first featured title on the page by Pittis's Lore. This is an adventure stories if you want to check something like that out. The second one is The Queer Evangelist by Sherry DeNovo. LGBTQ plus biographies for this one. And the last one of the featured titles so far is 
Twice, A Quinceanera by Yamel Said Mendez. This is a contemporary romance. Now, I want to read something from the Sila Library blog about Dyslexia Awareness Month. And this is published by Karen McKay earlier this week on October 3rd, 2022. And it's estimated that there may be as many as one in five people affected by language-based learning disabilities. And dyslexia, which affects all genders equally, they say, is one of the most common forms. Each October, organizations like Dyslexia Canada and Decoding Dyslexia work to raise awareness of the impacts of dyslexia. The Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creativity defines dyslexia as an unexpected difficulty in learning to read. Dyslexia takes away an individual's ability to read quickly and automatically and to retrieve spoken words easily. But it does not dampen their creativity and ingenuity. So thanks to an exception in the Canadian Copyright Act... CELA is able to provide accessible reading materials to people with perceptual disabilities, including dyslexia, as well as to people with low vision or vision loss and physical disabilities, which impact the ability to read traditional print. And having access to accessible reading material and literature means giving equal and equitable access to education and literacy, which is, of course, extremely important, makes it, making dyslexia-friendly reading materials easily available helps to break down these barriers to people. It minimizes inequality and it creates inclusive environments and allows people with print disabilities to overcome obstacles in order to be successful in school and in life. So to learn more about dyslexia, if you're curious, if you're wanting to support the initiatives, you can visit the Dyslexia Canada site by Googling Dyslexia Canada, or you can follow Dyslexia BC, Decoding, Decoding Dyslexia Ontario, and Decoding Dyslexia Manitoba on Facebook and on other social platforms. You can also, and I encourage you to do this, but it's also on the blog, check for Uh, Community resources. Check for how your localities are supporting initiatives like this one. We know how incredibly important it is to have accessible material in literature for education, uh, for pleasure, for whatever it is. We need to keep growing these kinds of supports. So thank you to Sela for acknowledging this. Check out Sela at celalibrary.ca. In a bit, we're going to talk Know Your Narrator, and Jim Dale is our feature for October with Sarah Hillis. This is AMI Audiobook Review with me, Ramia Amuthan. Once a month, near the start of the month, we like to check in with Sarah Hillis. She brings us Know Your Narrator. So these are the narrators in our audiobook world. We shout out the voices behind our favorite listens and get to know the fascinating lives and backgrounds of these individuals who uh, get into performing our books. So we're featuring, when I said favorite, I really meant it because we're featuring one of my favorites today, Jim Dale. Isn't that right, Sarah? Oh, Can't yes. switch it up on me oh, now. yes. Jim Dale. Yep. <laughs> okay, Absolutely. amazing. So why Jim and why now? 
well, of course, it's October, so it is Halloween month. And I mean, what better uh, narrator to pick than the guy that narrated all seven of the North American versions of the Harry Potter books, Jim Dale. These are by J.K. Rowling, of course. Mm -hmm. And he actually, one time he held the Guinness World Record for different ones. Uh, 134 characters he had to voice in the Order of the Phoenix and 146 or seven, I have some dispute about that, in, um, in the Deathly Hallows uh, books. Now, that's been eclipsed by <laughs> Game of Thrones because there's far too many characters in those sure. books. But uh, uh, he also, because of the Harry Potter books, he once held the top six places in the audiobook uh, charts on, I think, Audible in 2005. Wow. And that was a world record as well. So it still is, I think. So hold up. Okay, 146, 147 characters in which book did you say? Uh, Death, the Harry Hall. Potter and the Deathly Hallows. No way. Were there That's that what, many characters? I, I bet there were because there was the whole wedding thing. Yeah, yeah, you're whole, right. whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, and every time they went on their journey, you know, there was like a whole new chapter with a whole bunch of characters. But that is wild to think. You know, and, and we can listen back to the books as I often do and say hey this character sounds like a little bit of that character and that character sounds like it was taken from the inspiration of this character but to think he's done all that just in one book just in one series yeah wow it's amazing i know a moment of silence to celebrate that so um that's pretty amazing and before all of this we'll get back into more of his narration he was who well, he was born James Smith in 1935 in uh, Rothwell, Northamptonshire, England, uh, educated at um, Kettering Grammar School. Uh, so pretty much a working class background. Um, and he uh, trained as a dancer later on in mm. like musical theater kind of dancer kind of guy. Um, ended up playing a bunch of clown figures in the Shakespeare. Again, it's Shakespeare, right? They all kind of do Shakespeare. Right. Well, he, he ended up uh, being in, in uh, various Shakespeare companies playing uh, the comic figures, like the Gravedigger in Hamlet. He might play one of those, or he might play the Porter in Macbeth, or, or uh, you know, the clown figure in The Merchant of Venice. Uh, Gobbo mm. was his name. Uh, and, and, and in many plays, that's what he played, a sort of comedic character um in the 50s uh he even had some pop music success uh in england re recording with none other than george martin for beatles fans he is the producer behind the beatles and uh so jim uh, had a couple of those hits i listened to one on youtube and it sounded kind of like an elvisy type sound he was trying to go for i guess uh he he stopped doing that after a while went back to comedy um and but he did write a pop song that's really well known and I really enjoy it. I had no idea he wrote this until I did this segment. Uh, it's called Georgie Girl. The Seekers made it famous, and it's from the movie Georgie Girl from 1966. And he wrote the lyrics to that song, and I was like, "Wow, I had no idea." <laughs> Two of my worlds collided there. Uh, that's kind of fun. And uh, what else can I tell you about him? Uh, he he um. Yeah, he he does. He has done a lot of plays. Uh, 
on Broadway, off Broadway. He went to the States after a while and, and he was in, oh, he was in Pete's Dragon from the, in the 1970s there. One of my favorite movies. He played this sort of hokey medicine man guy called Doc Terminus, uh, had a fun song to sing. Uh, and uh, he also was on, in the Carry On films. If you're if you're in the UK, you know those Carry On Cavi, Carry On Doctor, all these different. He played the hapless romantic lead in those ones. So again, more comedy. Uh, yeah, so he was really a comedic actor and a comedian. He he loved the goons. He actually portrayed one of the goons in in England, Spike Milligan. Uh, and and Spike Milligan played his own father in this bio, a biographical movie, but Jim Dale played him, and he would have done a great job. He's a pretty zany character. Mm. Uh, yeah. So comedy is, you know, elements of comedy have come out in his narration as well. So this part is really not hard for me to believe. I've kind of checked him out a tad uh, and saw some of his comedy background, and it was really fun to hear how he he got into maybe not got into narration but hear how he brings that to his narration yeah he he's always enjoyed doing voices and and he's been a very outrageous character on stage he loves the audience interaction yeah when when he's when he switched over to narration it was a little difficult for him to get there because it's a whole different thing, as we always say on this segment. It's very intimate. You're just talking to the microphone. You're talking to a person literally in their ear rather than making all these cool hand gestures and jumping around with your crazy silly walks and stuff like that, you know. Mm. Uh, so you have to you have to do it all with your voice. And he found that a real interesting challenge. I would say challenge first. Like when I think, uh, try to put my headspace in one of a performer's and think, all that body movement, as you're expressing now, right? All that body movement, all that stage presence, that the the audience, but the audience isn't even just it. It's the lighting, the stage, the physicality, the sound, and then being able to <laughs> take that and say, okay, now how do I channel all of that? But uh, by sitting here in front of a microphone, potentially in the dark, like it's just something so extraordinarily different that the fact that you can channel all that into narration is fantastic. Like you mentioned all the characters and I'll bring it back to that. When um, Jim Dill performs, you know, a conversation, a dialogue between, let's say, three or four characters and he's switching voices and he's doing all that and the expression um, changing, like switch on and off. Uh, To me, I find that hilarious because I imagine the person doing it in studio, right? Yes. Yeah. And he's really, um, he's really a bit of a perfectionist in that sometimes with with the kinds of recordings he does it's kind of a one take thing so unless you make a really egregious mistake they won't go back and fix it <laughs> so Don't say he does so, it on purpose so he does he'll he'll swear he'll curse um in in a in a book that certainly shouldn't have curse words in it and it makes it makes them have to go back and do the sentence so that he likes it better nice oh that's yeah. a good hack good for you yeah. jeff yeah. <laughs> that's amazing so did the narration part of it like you mentioned how it was kind of a challenge for him to get into it but was he wanting to get into it or how did that happen well he he wasn't really looking into it at all it was in the mid 90s just when harry potter came out and and the publisher i guess it's listening library in the beginning it was um Pottermore has it now, of course, but um, Listening Library um, 
wanted a narrator with an English accent for Harry Potter because obviously it's a British book. And somebody said, oh, there's this off-Broadway play being performed in which four people have to voice and perform 33 different characters. Mm. So we thought, oh, let's, let's, and you might want to look at this Jim Dale guy. So he goes and watches the play. And, and it was only later that, that they realized that Jim Dale had only played two of those 33 <laughs> characters. So they sort of thought, we, we've hired this guy on spec, basically. Can, can he really, you know, deliver? And of course he did. Clearly. We all know he did. <laughs> yeah. But that's really, <laughs> so he got put in the position of having to do all these characters. But it was, kind of a mistake <laughs> yeah in a way yeah he wasn't one of the most prolific of those actors in right the, in the play <laughs> oh man that's amazing well you were talking about these records um does he still hold any of them he still holds the top six places on the audible charts from 2005 nobody else no other narrator even scott brick which i'm surprised at oh yeah um, hasn't hasn't held the top six places for a whole year or however, whatever however long it was i can't remember but <laughs> uh-huh. he still holds that one for sure wow. um just because all the harry potter books were out well a lot of them were and people kept buying them and listening to them yes and they still do <laughs> We well, re-listen yeah. and listen and listen and listen, don't we? You know, I just started reading The Night Circus. I've never read it by Aaron Morgenstern, which is oh. fantasy, magic, kind of cool stuff. Mm. And I just started listening to it. And I'm like, like today, like two hours ago. And I was like, I have to turn this off or I'll, I'll not be ready for the recording because it's so compelling. He, just, he has this musicality almost in mm. his narration. It's yes. really, really neat. He narrates it. Jim Dale narrates this as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fascinating. The Night Circus. That's great. I'm sorry, but I, I will find it very tough to hear him do anything but Harry Potter because it's now ingrained in my brain, like tattooed, oh, no. like absolutely. I can't, you know, when you hear a song in your head, you hear it as that song, right? The way it's produced, the way you're yeah. remembering it, the way yeah. it was recorded. Um, that to me is Harry Potter. Like if I think of the book, it is just Jim Dale. I can't watch the movies. I can't listen to Stephen <laughs> Fry. Uh, it's very... <laughs> specific and possessive (laughs) yeah clearly Uh, no clearly but but i mean absolutely agree with you though his narration is something when i think storytelling i i immediately think of this well it's it's funny because i'm reading the night circus and there's just one little f shot in the in the in the book uh-huh. and i'm like he just said that word he's never i've never heard him say it's that true. word like, it's wow true. <laughs> it's true it's true wow i mean he's like we can talk about his awards and accolades and all that stuff uh definitely because he won so much right yeah he's won uh 10 oddies the narration has won 10 10 oddies um 23 earphone awards from audiophile he's a golden voice of audiophile uh, he's won a whole. Well, he's been nominated for a bunch of different drama awards and and, and film awards and things. Uh, but the only ones he's won all of are his audio uh, audio awards that he was nominated for. He's won all of those. Uh, every time he's nominated, he wins. Of course, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, for his narration, like he's not up there for you know hundreds of books or anything like that. No, he's I've done about forty. Huh? Just over forty, I think now. Yeah. Uh, so he picks and chooses, I think. Well, he says they just send him to him, but I think he picks and chooses. <laughs> yeah. Is it because, is it kind of like typecasting, do you think, where, you know, someone's so big on 
one series and Harry Potter being as big as it is, do you think it's any of that or it's not the same at all when you think theater and uh, not theater? Well, theater and film. Um, I think that in the audio world, he is a bit typecast, but I think he wants to be too. He likes fantasy. He likes children's books. He likes sure. narrating this kind of stuff because uh, it's it's just more, I think it broadens his mind a bit more than some of the straight plot, you know, someone killed someone else kind of books. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be into into this. So, um, but yeah, he he certainly was a certain type of character in most of his movies, I would say. Uh, you know, again, crazy, crazy legs, crazy arms, just sort of getting into situations, that kind of thing. Yeah. Slapstick comedy kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I, I think that they typecast him, but he also, he's also said like they give him, they do it well. Like they give him good things that he, he, he knows he can do well. He, he's one of these people that never listens to himself because he'll say, I did this wrong and I did this wrong and I did this wrong. So he doesn't listen to his wow. own narration at all. So what is it? He just has the voice in his head reading Harry Potter? Like, Yeah, he has a few. Okay. He has a few um, voices. One of the voices he came up with was for Dobby, for example. Oh, I love the story. And he's in um, a, a department store at Christmas time. It's very busy. He's in an elevator and... Uh, it's really crowded. He kind of backs into the elevator and someone says, excuse me, could you please get your bum out of my face? And, <laughs> and this little tiny guy in this little tiny voice. And so when he read Dobby, he just like, that's the voice I'm going to use for Dobby. And he, he uses a tape recorder to record some of his voices. So if he forgets them, he can hear them again. Yes. And stuff. So he he really tries. He really tried. And I mean, if you're thinking over a hundred voices to keep track of, you got to remember how you did their voice at the beginning of the series, right? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah. just so much. But I love the stories. Um, I've heard him, you know, do a couple interviews explaining uh, McGonagall's voice and where that came from. One of his <laughs> aunts, right? Something like oh, that. Cool. Yeah, right. I didn't hear that one. That one was really great too. Um, and then uh, Dobby's voice, like you're saying. But it's just fun hearing how much excitement there is for him in creating the actual voices because yeah, there's so much to so the much. imagination. He, and he takes it seriously. He reads his books really carefully and yes. uh, gets pronunciations, all that good stuff. And Yeah. You know. Wow. Yeah. That's so funny. The W one is the best one. Um, now, he tells this funny story about his grandson. What is this? Oh, man. Okay. Um, I'll do this as quick as I can. Um, his son had gotten him to record some the Harry Potter characters saying goodnight to his grandson. Okay. So when his son switched out this cassette for the Harry Potter cassettes, and all of a sudden it's like the Harry Potters were saying goodnight, Alfie, you know, and all the different characters were saying that. And he's like, Dad, they're talking to me now. What's going on? And he got all scared because he didn't understand why the book was talking to him because he didn't know the tape had been changed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so it didn't really turn out the way that he thought it would. No, no. <laughs> scared the bejesus out of the kid. Oh, yeah. that's fun. And he likes this. Like, are you getting the impression that he loves doing the impressions for people? Oh, and he does. Public and oh, stuff? Yes. He's done it in fast food restaurants at kids' requests, you know. Could you order my burger like Dumbledore? And he, I'm sure <laughs> I'll do that. You know, he really he really gets a kick out of the whole he thing. He embraces it totally. Yeah. I would be that person, you know. If I, if yeah. I heard Jim Dale like 
I feel like I could, you know, pick him out. But if I heard Jim Dill at a McDonald's, I would definitely ask him to order my McChicken nuggets. But what voice would I pick? See, that would be really hard. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Snape know. or something. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Something uh, very serious like that. Now, you do you have a history with Harry Potter? Like, obviously, not everyone's obsessed as I am. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I, okay. I first heard Harry Potter uh, when a friend of mine said, You have to listen to Chamber of Secrets because I'd read the first book as a printed book that I scanned. And she said, Listen to this, listen to this guy. And I just absolutely went, This guy's really cool. As soon as I heard uh, the Chamber of Secrets, I was like, Yeah, this is great. So uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's what I, when I first ever heard of Jim Dale was, was Chamber of Secrets. Was through awe. That's nice. Yeah. It wasn't even the first book. And then do you, um, did you try any of the other ones? Did you try Stephen Fry? Not yet. Okay. I'm still planning to. Okay. Right. I'm not quite like you. No pressure. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to listen to a Harry Potter 12 times a year. It's fine. <laughs> But uh, that's it's interesting, like, you know, the way you said it was the North American version of the Harry Potter book. So, it is. Yeah. Oh, so. so Jim Dale, just to let you know, Jim Dale's 87. He's still narrating. He's still doing things. Um, he's done some musicals, like narrated the musicals for audio. They're audible musicals, um, mm. some fairy tale musicals and stuff. You can find them on Audible. And uh, yeah, he's Amazing. done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Well, you've definitely done Jim Dale justice, Sarah. Thank you so much. This is awesome, uh, always having Know Your Narrator on the show and getting to know some of the, the fun stuff behind the works of audiobooks. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Well, that was Know Your Narrator with Sarah Hillis and today's feature, Jim Dale. I don't think I need to remind you who Jim Dale is because you'll hear about it in all the other episodes from my love of Harry Potter. That's it for this week's episode of AMI Audiobook Review. And until the next one, happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.